Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate. This week on Rewind, your week in review. So my request to Speaker Voss is simple. Shut this investigation down. Wisconsin's Attorney General is calling for a GOP election investigation to end and the debate around new gun laws and the efforts underway to combat an uptick in violence. Plus, a Wisconsin brewery owner who's helping parents sue school districts who don't have any COVID-19 policies in place. All this and more on Rewind, your week in review for October 15th. Hi, I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. JR, let's start with the latest update in mm -hmm. Michael Gableman's uh, GOP-ordered mm -hmm. election investigation. Um, the latest that we know as of now, mm -hmm. I feel like every single time we tape, sometimes things change late in the afternoon or evening on Fridays, but he is now backing off on interviews with state and city election officials, including mayors of the state's five largest cities. Now, this comes after he issued these subpoenas, compelling them to come testify. One of them specifically, the clerks were supposed to be in Brookfield today at 9 a.m. So now that is completely called off. Gableman confirmed this in his third YouTube video released on Thursday, saying that, you know, many expressed concerns because these subpoenas were very wide ranging, very broad. We even heard some members on WEC and Jacob say it could be tens of thousands of documents, truckloads. So with all this happening, let's first hear from what happened earlier in the week. And this is when Gableman's second video purposely targeted Governor Evers for his comments, calling his investigation a $700,000 boondoggle. So we'll hear from Evers, Gableman, and then Gableman's third video released today. And then we'll dive into the details. Democracy is on the line here. And when you have democracy on the line and you have someone that's in charge of uh, something that's going to impact that democracy, and, and that is allowing people to vote, eligible people to vote, we expect more. We expect consistency. We expect uh, knowledge of what is expected of the mayors, of the, of the clerks. We know it was a fair election. We know all those clerks across the, uh, across the state and all those volunteers that help people vote, um, they did a great job in that, in, that, uh, in that election. Regardless of who the hell won, it was a fair election, and we, we will stand by that regardless of what his, uh, uh, his outcomes are. The governor is certainly entitled to his opinion about this investigation. However, I'm disappointed that he has advised public servants to resist a process which is intended to enhance transparency and public confidence in our elections. He argues the election result has already been proven, he says, probably a hundred times. And he says this is a $700,000 boondoggle to investigate. Those statements show that Tony Evers has an incomplete and misguided view of what we're doing. And if the governor believes that it has been proven the election was conducted flawlessly, then he is completely ignorant to the concerns of Wisconsin voters 
who have great concerns regarding the sanctity and security of their vote. We offered mayors and city clerks a reprieve on the timing of their interviews in order to give them more time to prepare. In cases where public officials are not interested in working with us, we have no alternative but to exercise the power granted to us by the State Assembly in order to compel them to testify and produce the documents this office has requested. Accordingly, there is no need to lawyer up, and there should not be lawyers between the people of Wisconsin and their elected and appointed government officials. As I said before, your special counsel and your office of special counsel will use every tool at its disposal to get the answers that you rightfully expect and rightfully deserve. So, Jr., this is clearly just another, uh, uh, I guess, another update that we're seeing that Gableman is not going to complete this, uh, his review anytime soon. He's even said that he's not going to reach uh, Speaker Voss's, I guess, not deadline, but what Speaker Voss intended, which was by the end of this month. Yeah, uh, he was unrealistic. Um, also, he's getting criticism from all sides at this point, which has kind of been a consistent theme for the whole thing. Don't forget that Janelle Branchin, who's the chair of the campaign's elections community assembly, who in theory, is overseeing the Gableman Pro because he, in theory, reports to her committee. Um, she criticized Gableman for saying he wasn't going to or was going to grant immunity to the people who talked to him because she thinks that people like Mayor Genrick up in Green Bay did some things that were inappropriate with the private money it was used toward election costs and shouldn't be held harmless and all this. So he's getting fire from all sides. Uh, what's interesting here is that, one, we're not getting any time soon, and two, the goalposts keep shifting, it seems like. So let's rewind. Last week we were sitting here talking, okay, there are more subpoenas out. They have these deadlines to meet. But Gableman seems to be backing off from subpoena and saying, just give me the records and we'll be fine. Well, he went on talk radio not long after we finished taping last week and said, every one of these guys are going to show up now unless we reach some other agreement. Well, fast forward to this week, and now the clerks aren't going to be there today. The mayors aren't expected to be there next Friday. In fact, Mike Haas, the city attorney with Madison, he sent you a letter saying, okay, here's everything we're turning over to you. Basically, the city's put thumb drives in the mail or FedExed to his office. Here's stuff we put in open record requests before. You can have it now. Um, basically, Haas wrote, look, we're, here's the information we're giving you. Our understanding is by giving this information, the clerk won't be there on Friday the 15th. The mayor won't be there October the 22nd. Oh, by the way, our understanding is you asked for these interviews in the first place to put pressure on us to turn over the records. So we'll sit down for an interview later on with somebody you want to talk to, but we're also going to ask questions about what you want to know about and what the terms are going to be before we agree to it. So this is not necessarily a non-adversarial relationship, which is what Grayman keeps saying, is that there's nothing to worry about here. You don't need an attorney. No need for there to be anybody to kind of uh, resist what I'm seeking here. It's all, all a nice, friendly relationship. Well, there are some concerns from clerks and city officials that what's Gayman up to and where is he going with this thing. And uh, this Attorney General, Josh Call, who is representing the State Elections Commission, uh, Megan Wolf, uh, the leader of WEC, was planning to meet with Gableman. That is also the latest round of interviews canceled. But uh, Call, I talked to yesterday, he said, he's, yes, they reached this agreement, but it, it's likely he's going to ask for more documents mm -hmm. and there could be the possibility of interviews down the road. But I think the lingering question for me and talking with others involved in all this and city officials is, are these subpoenas still like ethical are they still valid in a sense because he's backed off on them so much yeah absolutely and i talked to representatives of the five cities so kenosha green bay madison milwaukee and racine their expectation is that the mayors aren't going to testify period but that gave them a look at what his office look at what they gave them 
and say, okay, I might want X, and I want a conversation with somebody else down the road. Now, the second round of subpoenas said the person most knowledgeable of the 2020 election. Mm -hmm. Who's that? Probably the clerks yeah. in these cities. Um, but the city's expectations was that eventually that clerk or somebody from the clerk's office will talk with Gableman or his office and say, okay, what do you want to know? But again, what are the terms going to be? Are these depositions? Are they on the, on the record? Are they in public? Um, are there any penalties if you don't comply? All those kind of things are up in the air. The subpoenas, Gableman insisted I talked to him last Friday after we taped. He insisted he's not dropping subpoenas. They are still there. Okay. But what he's saying is he won't go to court to compel compliance with subpoenas if you comply, which to the average person, like, you're not being forced to do this. As long as you comply, it's okay. Well, right. just file the open records request. Just ask for the documents. It'd be a different story. But we're still here with this hanging over their heads about what, when and where and what's going to happen. And we do know with the subpoenas and what we know so far of what Gableman is looking into is this private grant money. Mm -hmm. um, the Centers of Tech and Civic Life yep. issued about $10 million to over 200 communities across Wisconsin. Um, and also in his last uh, video uh, released yesterday, he also uh, said some strong words that people shouldn't have to be lawyered up. Yeah. Um, and those comments specifically come after Governor Evers a few weeks back encouraged clerks like, hey, this is a messy situation. Maybe you should lawyer up. And then also we have the Attorney General demanding that this election investigation be shut down. Call still says, even after reaching this agreement with Gableman, he still stands by those words. So, And remember that... that and private, of course, we know that's not going to happen. Yeah. But the private money, is, it's a definitely interesting question because there is a group, the Wisconsin Voter Alliance, filed a federal lawsuit last August or September seeking to prevent the five communities from using that money for election costs. And this, the whole effort was... We're in a pandemic, or we're, well, kind of still on a pandemic, right? Yeah. But we're in a throes of a pandemic last fall with a presidential election on the ballot. How do you pay for the extra costs of like PPE and barriers and cleaning supply, all that kind of stuff? So, under the auspice of helping communities pay for these costs, they gave out these grants. Well, Republicans were suspicious that it went, the bulk of it went to these five cities that tend to vote Democratic, and they think it helped turn out Democratic voters. They think there's something wrong with that. But in that federal lawsuit, Judge Griesbach, who was a Republican appointee, said, look, there's the, you know, possibly of appearance of impropriety here. There's nothing in federal law that prevents this from happening. So he denied the lawsuit. Mm -hmm. uh, those groups also raised the issue with the state Supreme Court in a kind of kitchen sink type lawsuit. That didn't go anywhere. So what I'm wondering is, all right, Republicans think that this was wrong, but what's the remedy going to be from Gableman? To recommend a change? Okay, you can do that. There's already been a bill written, passed, I think, and vetoed as well to right. pri ban private grants. So what else might he do? If he declares it illegal or that was something wrong with it, well, a federal judge disagrees. So that's what I'm kind of wondering, the, the impact of this report. And what is going to be in the report? Yeah. Right? What are these findings going to be? Maybe they're just recommendations, like you said. And I guess maybe it's going to be recommendations Republicans try to take up again, depending on who is elected our next governor. And again, unless Gablin recommends overturning the election or charges, there's a segment of the Republican base not going to be happy about what he's doing because they're convinced the election was stolen. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of a tangent, but this week there was the a local county GOP executive committee sent That's Howard right. Markline, mm -hmm. the co-chair of the Finance Committee, a letter saying, do you support the given subpoenas? And what are you going to do with your position as the co-chair of the Budget Committee to compel compliance? Will you withhold money from the Wisconsin Elections Commission? Now, Howard Markline by himself... Uh, he can't do that, right? Yeah, I was because just going to say, he does not have the, let's, let's make an important point there that he does not have authority to do that. Appropriation bills must be approved mm -hmm. by both houses and the governor, so he can't do that, but it shows you the pressure that these Republicans are facing from local activists back home of, 
what are you doing? This is a big issue for us, election security, or you know what they think went wrong in 2020. And if you don't deliver, what are they going to do, right? And are they going to turn out next fall if they don't feel uh, satisfied with what Gableman finds or what Republicans do in the legislature? All right, we'll get our next update, I'm sure, on this Gableman <laughs> investigation. Let's move on to campaign fundraising numbers. Now, the deadline is today for campaigns to disclose how much they've raised so far. Those are coming out later today. But we have some snippets that we mm-hmm. can talk about. Um, let's pull up the slide. Mandela Barnes' campaign says he's raised $1.12 million. $1.12 million. Yep. Uh, Sarah Godlewski also put $1 million of her own money into her campaign. And Alex Lazary's campaign says he's raised $3 million so far. Yeah, so... The caveat is, it's what the campaigns say. Right. I haven't seen the reports yet. We'll see those later. Yeah. And why it's important to me is, for example, Mandela Barnes is perceived to be the front runner for the Democratic nomination. He's also got a network of donors that we think is probably a little bit national, not just a regional thing. I want to see a small dollar donation uh, number. So when you get these federal reports, they have itemized contributions and unitemized contributions. Unitemized are, I think, uh, cumulative donation of 200 bucks or less. That tells me your email list how big it is. Yeah, so I'm hit, I get that email, you get them too from all right. these campaigns, donate now, we need 50 bucks by our midnight deadline. deadline. Well that tells me how big your network donors is, right? Alex Lazary, um, he raised a million dollars in his first quarter that he was in the race. But a lot of those people who maxed out, and people who maxed out who were from out of state. You can't go back to those guys again and again for like another 50 bucks, whereas if you have a small dollar operation, you can. With Godlewski, we know she put the million bucks in, but what beyond that? Right. So she got endorsed by Emily's List, which backs uh, female candidates who support abortion rights at the really at the end of the last quarter. We didn't see a big boost for her in that number, which was around $525,000 in quarter two. Will we see a big boost in her numbers from quarter three from that endorsement of Emily's List, which usually is a big financial boost for female candidates? Um, that's going to be a big test for her. I want to see the details of these reports. Now, Lazary says the $3 million bucks is cumulative. I'm Decent at math for a journalist. <laughs> he had raised more than $2 million by the end of the second quarter. So I think he's about a million bucks raised in this quarter. But again, how did he raise it? Was mm-hmm. it from in-state, out-of-state, big donations, small donations? Memories up on TV, trying to raise his profile. So I went to these details of these numbers. And oh, by the way, what did Ron Johnson do? Yeah, exactly. Ron Johnson has been raising his profile fundraising-wise. And he raised like, like $1.2 million last quarter, which mm-hmm. for him was pretty good. But if you compare him to every other targeted incumbent senator in the country, he lags behind dramatically. Give you a couple numbers keep in mind for when you see his reports. Uh, Warwick down in uh, Georgia, freshman Democratic senator, up for election, ran a special election. He raised $8 million bucks this quarter. Mark Kelly down yeah. in Arizona, $8 million. Um, that tells you, like, vulnerable senators, if you have a really targeted, like, engaged operation what you can raise, Where's Ron Johnson going to be? And what's it say about 2022, which he hasn't announced yet what he's going to do? We're 13 months away. Right. And there's so many candidates already, Democrats on the Democrat side already declared that, you know, they're all in. So then you have that much messaging attacking one candidate. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, we all have our hunches, right? Is Ron Johnson (laughs) going to run again? I mean, he says he's going to decide early January, February, but that all remains to be seen. But. We'll, uh, we'll see. <laughs> um, also speaking about uh, elections, we have a new candidate who entered uh, for the 3rd Congressional District, which is formally uh, or going to be formally held by Ron Kind, uh, is going to be Rebecca Cook. She is an Eau Claire business owner. And during her kind of opening statement when she declared, this is her quote, it's clear that Washington isn't working for us. I'm running for Congress to better serve our communities and to be relentless fighter 
for our way of life. And other Democrats so far in the race, we, I think it was last week we talked about Senator Brad Path, and there's a U.S. Navy veteran, Brett Knudsen. Um, and right after Cook, I think a day before? Day Cook, after. Day after, thanks, uh, correct me. Day after Cook announced, um, Ron Kind endorsed his uh, former employee, yeah. Brad Path. Not surprised that Ron Kind endorsed Brad Path. What's interesting that race to watch is one, what's the district look like? Is Eau Claire still in it? Right. So right now, if you look at the third district, kind of goes up the Mississippi Valley, a river a little bit, then cur- curls over to Stevens Point. Eau Claire is the top of the district. So typically, you kind of keep Eau Claire and Cross together because it's a media market, essentially. Um, so you think they'll stay there, but we don't know for sure. So that's her number one for Rebecca Cook. Number two is how is she going to electrify the electorate, right? So now Brad Path wants to follow the path of many people in the western Wisconsin region of a moderate personality, even not necessarily moderate stances, right? Ron mm-hmm. Kine, uh, Dan Kapanke, Republican, who's state senator, uh, Dale Schultz, Republican state senator. I mean, they all are people who seem to have these kind of like get-along personalities, even if they're pretty partisan in their positions. So is Brad going to talk about a general election philosophy right away or appeal to the base ahead of a primary because Rebecca Cook, could she outflank him on the left? Does she have a younger, more enthusiastic approach to things? Um, she's got an interesting profile because she owns this business, but she also um, does these grants for fellow female business owners uh, to help them get off the ground. And she used to raise money for campaigns. Mm-hmm. So she's a candidate who's also been an operative. That's an interesting profile for a candidate for that race. But I don't know what the district looks like just yet. I'm dying to know <laughs> when those maps are done to get a better handle of what this race is going to look like with Derek Van Orden, so the only Republican out there on the GOP side running for it. Yeah, I also saw your report that Kind send, sent back a, a bulk of his c- contributions that he received in the third quarter. Yeah, rare for a retiring candidate to do this, but he raised about $110,000, $105,000, sent back ninety five grand. I looked at his report that was filed yesterday, um, based on everything, most of it back on September 30th, the last day of the reporting period. He still has $1.3 million bucks in the bank. Mm-hmm. So what I'm kind of curious about Ron Kind is how he'll use that money. Yeah. Uh, Derek Van Orden, a little personal for Ron Kind after last fall and yeah. some of the stuff that was said about him earlier this spring. So could he use that money to help the Democratic nominee and will he focus it on Brad Path of the primary? All right. Well, let's move on to uh, what actually happened inside the state capitol this week. Uh, Republicans announced their Wisconsin Sported Freedom, Freedom Package, and they had a celebrity that came <laughs> along, uh, fellow rocker Ted Nugent, who is also an avid hunter and is a, a, an outspoken uh, person for what's called Hunter Nation. Mm-hmm. They're kind of traveling across the country, touting these bills. Some of the big two, um, one proposal would create a hunting season for Sandhill Cranes, and another that's been introduced before by Republicans and had no success, didn't even make it out of committee, was concealed carry without, allowing people to conceal carry without a permit. Now, before we listen to the arguments on this debate, this um, sporting freedom package came you know, right after the governor invested $25 million into the violent prevention efforts and another $20 million into support victim services in Wisconsin. So what I'm trying to get at here with both of these is if we think about violence, gun rights, the governor, of course, has always wanted to, you know, repeal um, some gun laws mm-hmm. and, you know, make it harder for people to get them, universal background checks, red flag laws. Meanwhile, Republicans are, you know, saying that this hunting package of bills is essential, that this makes sense to have con- allow people to have concealed carry without a permit. So let's hear some of the arguments on these bills and just violence overall, and then we'll kind of get into the weeds about both topics. 
in cities around the country, we have seen a significant increase in shootings. And unfortunately, uh, some communities in Wisconsin have not escaped that either. We have seen unacceptable levels of violence and shootings um, here in Milwaukee and in other communities. When we build safer communities, we build stronger communities for all Wisconsinites. This investment of $25 million in violence prevention is going to help make communities across the state safer. If you want to talk about gun violence in Milwaukee, that's a whole other subject. And I don't think the policies that have been put in place by local officials in Milwaukee are helping that, especially if you want to start talking about defund the police. As far as the sporting heritage package, gun laws affect hunters. And we are removing, with our um, constitutional carry, number one, it is a constitutional right, both at the state level and the federal. The second thing about that is we're talking about law-abiding citizens. So we know this uh, concealed carry permit uh, bill is likely to be vetoed by Governor Evers. Like I mentioned, I think it was 2017, and I want to say I remember Governor Walker not even supporting that type of legislation when Republicans had control of both chambers and, of course, the executive office. Um, this kind of just brings to the debate again that Republicans are pushing legislation they know is bound for a veto pen to kind of really fire up their base ahead of the elections. Mm -hmm. And governor is still just dishing out ARPA funds to deal with this huge uh, uptick in violence, especially being seen in Milwaukee as the homicide numbers are almost about to reach uh, a record high. Yeah, so enter the, the uh, concealed carry bill. In 2017, it got out of a Senate committee 3-2, didn't get a, Senate, a committee vote in the assembly, even the full Republican control. So we have a different dynamic and leadership in the Senate with Devin Lemahieu versus Scott Fitzgerald. I'm curious if that changes things at all. Are there 17 votes for this bill in the Senate right now and 50 in the Assembly? Even if there are, it's going to be vetoed. The other bills, a lot of them are Republicans saying, we know how to run um, wildlife stuff better than the DNR does because they don't trust the DNR, which is an age-old issue with the agency. The Republicans just don't trust the numbers they have about the deer population, how to address chronic wasting disease, you go on down the list of things they don't like. I don't know if there are some things in this package that might get Evers okay because there's some kind of agreement, like there's, there's extra stocking of trout and some things like that. Some non-controversial ones, you can say. It's interesting, there's a tangent here of the wolf hunt where the DNR board is chafing at um, the approach of DOJ to this lawsuit over the wolf hunt. They're going to have a special meeting on Monday and ask to get their own counsel, essentially. Department of Justice and the governor's office already rejected a request from them to do that, saying they didn't meet the qualifications for it. But this is a tangent of not trusting the agency to run wildlife uh, in Wisconsin. So I'm interested to watch how that goes. And then the violence thing for Evers, this is an issue. We're seeing this across the country of numbers spiking. And, and his record on Kenosha, Republicans love to pick at that and what happened uh, last year during the riots and him the claims that he didn't act soon enough to send to the National Guard. This is a vulnerability, and he's got to address that. Now, if the numbers reverse course the next year, maybe it's less of an issue, but if there's a way to gin up a public safety issue, that gets at those suburban moms who Republicans lost, right, under Trump. It might be one way to win them back for Republicans to kind of harp on the safety issue, and the governor's trying to address that, that weakness right now. And we also um, heard from Senator Felskowski, a lot of Republicans say, yeah, you could throw money at the problem, but it's not going to solve the issue. Um, we also heard Ted Nugent um, there saying, well, I think the problem is that we need to eliminate gun-free zones. Um, little controversial <laughs> comments there because the Republican argument is that, you know, people should be able to have a gun when 
maybe situations break out. Um, maybe there's a shooting in a bar. I don't know. We've seen that in Wisconsin already this year. So um, it just we'll see if if these bills, like you said, get out of committee. Um, and we do know the Senate is coming back next week. They'll be in session on the 20th. I haven't seen them on go through the committee process yet, but also then the Assembly is going to come back uh, two weeks from yep. now. So. They still got early November to get things done. And which well, will be a year out from the election, by the way, Emily. Yes, it will. So <laughs> exciting. And we just have this big question mark. When are they going to vote on maps, right? Yes. I mean, they have a lot on their to-do list still. So um, let's move on uh, uh, to the Wisconsin brewery owner that I specifically talked to this week. Um, he is helping pay, I should say his super PAC, is helping pay uh, for lawsuits for parents to sue school districts who are not following the recommended CDC COVID-19 guidelines. The guy I'm talking about is Kirk Bankstead. He is the Moaka Brewing Company owner and owner of the Super PAC. And like I said, he, I mean, he right now there's only two federal two federal lawsuits um, that he's helped funded. But earlier this week, he told me he wants to sue now every school board in Wisconsin that doesn't follow CDC guidelines. That takes a lot of money and a lot of effort, I will say. So I called up uh, Rick Essenberg from the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. He, of course, is a frequent litigator in state and federal courts. He just thinks this doesn't even have a chance of success. But it's a talker, right? I mm -hmm. mean, we know how heated these school board debates have been. It's really sometimes emotional. There's political fights. These school board members in general are getting threats. I mean, it's hard to do their job. It's hard to probably push a button for yes or no or up or down vote. Um, We'll see what happens here. I mean, it's it's pretty interesting that this he's taking this lead, but let's not forget he also tried to run for the assembly last yep. year. So maybe he's just trying to get his name out there again, get some name recognition. Well, I, I don't know. We'll see and what happens. Tangent to that, Republican sense and energy with these recalls of school board members that they feel like election integrity and uh, mass mandates, uh, critical race theory, all these things they're kind of targeting school members about is a way to tap in some energy in their base, get jazz up for next year. So keep that in mind of as the debate goes forward about recalls and those kinds of things. Um, and let's actually hear from Kirk himself, kind of explain his reasoning for getting involved in this, why he decided to act, and what he's seeking to do in the lawsuits. I put out a, a, a question on my Facebook page, the Wisconsin Brewing Company. Uh, I said, if, you, if you've got a kid who's gotten COVID and your school district isn't you know, removed all these COVID mitigations they had last year, I want to hear from you. I got flooded by parents across the state of Wisconsin who were super upset, super scared, and, and, and wanted and felt powerless to protect their children. These aren't just lawsuits against two towns. These are, these are meant to be class action lawsuits where, the, where there's going to be a class of defendants uh, that include all school boards that aren't providing these COVID mitigation efforts. And JR, we also had some good, or some good, <laughs> we also had some big um, Madison news here. Becky Blank is leaving her post. She's going to depart as a chancellor at UW-Madison to be the first female president at Northwestern University. Um, let's read a quick statement from her. Leading UW-Madison and serving the people of Wisconsin has been an honor and a privilege. Now it's time to let someone else step into leadership. I have many connections with Northwestern, and she is very excited about this new opportunity. Yeah, what I'm watching is you have two key positions in the University of Wisconsin system that are kind of not filled. Well, I mean, she's not left yet. Right, she's still here. <laughs> but Tommy Thompson's interim president. Mm -hmm. They're doing the search right now. They'll then have to fill the flagship 
leadership position of the biggest campus, the most high-profile campus. It's going to be an interesting time of transition for the university, especially with pressure coming down State Street from le- GOP-controlled legislature about what they're doing, what they're teaching, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So. All right. Well, remains to be seen. All right. Thanks so much for joining us this week. I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. Thanks for joining us. Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.